Christmas is coming. And this week I reflected on what we wait for and how uh, well is our uh, waiting. I was at the grocery store and uh, I was just going crazy. I'm like, are you going to open up another lane? I'm like, I've got something I got to get to. I, it's an, I'm in a hurry here and I'm like waiting through and I, you know, and you're looking at, you know, kind of trying to like give the cue to an employee. Hey, can we open another thing here? And it took me a whole five minutes. And there was only two people in the store. So they really didn't need that. But I realized I was very impatient. Uh, I was thinking about water boiling. And I was like, man, when I was a kid, water boiled way faster than it does now. I don't know why it takes so long today. And then, you know, we have uh, our Internet and uh, email. And I love just clicking on email and having it right there, right? Like five seconds is too long, right? But uh, remember when the internet first started and you had the dial-up sound, that scratchy sound and all that, and you'd like leave the computer and then you'd come back to uh, check out something because it took so long. And if you are bad at waiting, don't text someone who does not know how to text. Because you text them something and they're sitting there and going, you're waiting. And it's like, come on, are you going to respond? They're like, L-O-L. And then they're like, where's the send button? Oh, you know, it's like, it's like driving you crazy. Like, just text already, you know. And uh, we order things from Amazon. I, I don't know how many of you use Amazon, but we buy a lot of stuff from Amazon because I guess it's kind of uh, our way to just be lazy to not go to the store. Uh, but we'll order something. And it's like, we can't even wait two days for the package to get here. Uh, so we've got to cancel it and rush to the store to go buy it and uh, forget the discount because we cannot wait. Uh, and... <clears throat> For me, this morning, it was a great, uh, I think, uh, eight or nine minute drive uh, from the other side of town to here up reserve. During the rest of the week, though, I feel like I'm back in Los Angeles and people are right in my tail. Trying, I'm like, where are you going to go? And people are rearing ending each other and everything there. But I think the worst part about people for people that wait is, you know, for waiting for things is we want to, and expect to lose 10 pounds in 15 minutes of workout, right? We have these problems with attention span these days. And when you go to other countries like Africa and to Mexico, uh, you know, our American time and trying to be quick doesn't work well there. Imagine going to a four-hour church service in Africa. Some of you wouldn't last, right? You're like, where's the coffee and donut break? I need a break here. But this uh, aspect of waiting and longing for is something that should be in our minds as we come to Christmas. The nation of Israel was longing and they were waiting for what God had promised them. God had promised them hope in a Messiah. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 9, and in Isaiah chapter 9 we saw the description of this hope that would come, the Savior, the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, the everlasting Father. And when you look at when that was prophesied and when Jesus comes, if you've got a time of approximately 700 years, that's a long time waiting, as Isaiah said, living in the dark. And so today we come to a point in the account of the birth of Christ in Matthew chapter 1 where the Messiah, the hope promised, is approaching, is almost there. And we're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 1. And as you turn to Matthew chapter 1, the big idea this morning is this. The birth of Christ proclaims to us hope for salvation that comes from the love of God. Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, says this. 
Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son and called his name Jesus. Father, I pray that in the moments that we have here to look to your word, that you would speak powerfully to us through a account, a story that is so familiar to many of us at Christmas. Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes to see something new in this account? Would you help us to see what your plan is and the way that you have worked in our lives? Father, we give glory to you and we praise you that you've given us your word. You've given us the gift of your Son and you've given us your Holy Spirit that we would understand. We ask now that you would bless the reading and bless the preaching of the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the nation of Israel has been waiting for hundreds of years. As Isaiah described, living in darkness. And they're waiting for the hope of salvation to come. And they may have thought of more of a salvation of their nation and being oppressed by the enemies. But there is a promise of salvation from their sins. And we see that today in the name of Jesus that is given to the child who is born. But we are at this moment right before Jesus is born. And it's for some, we might wonder, why did it happen at this time in history? Well, we know it's God's plan. The Apostle Paul tells us in Galatians 4, verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law. So it's the perfect timing. We're at this aspect of the story that we read every Christmas. And Joseph has an angel who comes and speaks to him. He finds out this news about Mary being pregnant. And I've been praying this week that you and I would have a greater understanding, a clearer picture, something new that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us to a story that is so familiar. So let's look this morning in this uh, text in verses 18 through 20. The first point that we want to see is that this is an act of God. The birth of Christ is an act of God. Look at verse 18. It says the birth of Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes. It says that they were betrothed. In a Jewish wedding, there would be the betrothal and there would be a marriage ceremony. But the betrothal is just as a legal marriage today. 
It's the same thing, but they just had not come together physically. There was no uh, uh, sexual interaction between them as a husband and wife. And so sometimes it could be a year between the betrothal and the marriage ceremony. And Joseph is not only legally married to her, but he hears the news. It says it's found out. What? Mary's pregnant? It's not from me. I mean, I've thought many times, how would I feel? Would I be not only confused, but would I be hurt, angry? Would I be into a jealous rage? Would I, would I, what would I feel like? And, and I wonder what Joseph's feelings were. The great thing is God's word doesn't tell us what his feelings were. It tells us what his actions were. And what he does, and when you look at this, <clears throat> it says that he was, uh, verse 19, he was a just man. He was unwilling to put her to shame and resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, Joseph had every right, being a man under the law. Deuteronomy chapter 22 says that if a woman commits adultery, that her and the man that committed adultery with, it specifically talks about even a virgin there, that they're to be stoned to death. That literally they would bring them before the people and the people would pick up stones and stone them, and t- throw stones at them till they were dead. He had every right to bring her out and say, hey, it's not my child. But he didn't do that. And I think it's because he loved her. And it says that he was a just man. He was unwilling to put her to shame. And so he's decided, I'm going to divorce her and I'm going to do it quietly. Now, the law also gave Joseph the right, even though they were betrothed and hadn't had the marriage ceremony yet, to end that marriage, he had to do it legally. So Deuteronomy chapter 24 and uh, uh, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus speaks of it, the law, it was given so that if the divorce needed to take place, it was there. But Jesus said in in Matthew 19, it was on the count if that spouse committed sexual immorality. So he was going to divorce her, and he had planned to do that. He wanted to show mercy in one sense where he loved her. And what happens is God acts. God moves in Joseph's life. Now here's the backstory. We're going to be in this text next week, but in Luke chapter 1, an angel, Gabriel, comes to Mary and says, you know what, you've been chosen by God to bear Son of the Most High. It says, um, um, it tells us there that the Son of God that she would bear. In Luke chapter 1, if you want to turn there, I'll read that there in just a minute. But what happens is Joseph falls asleep. He falls asleep in his heart. I'm going to divorce her quietly. I'm going to abide by the law. I'm going to not uh, allow her to be shamed. But an angel of the Lord comes to him. Actually, when you read the account of the birth of Christ five different times, the angel of the Lord speaks to Joseph and says, go do this, go do that, go do that, do this, do that. And Joseph does what he's asked to do or commanded to do. But what you see here is a supernatural birth. Look at Luke chapter 1, 34 and 35. The angel Gabriel has come to Mary. He says, you're going to bear a son. And Mary asks the question, how could this be? I mean, because think of the number of people in this world that when they read this story and say, wait, the virgin is pregnant, but 
not by a man? How is that possible? There are people in this world that laugh at Christians because we believe God's word is truth. And it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 34, And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit, a supernatural birth. And this was believed by the disciples. This is believed by the the early church. And if you're a Christian, we believe this because this is foundational to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because what we know by Jesus being born from a virgin is that Jesus is God. And the power of the gospel is that God became man. Think about that for a minute. He didn't give up his divinity, but he added to it humanity, became fully man with flesh and blood to feel what you feel, to go through physical pains, to experience what we experience. Jesus did that. And the reason he did that is by God becoming fully man he could then reconcile us to God. Because as I've mentioned before, and I'll say it again, because all of us have sinned, we are separated from God Almighty who gives you the ability to even take a deep breath right now. And so the virgin birth is important. And I find it very discouraging that it seems every year more and more Christians believe liberal theologians who attack the virgin birth and you have these percentages of Christians and the numbers of them less and less that it's diminishing. They don't believe or they question, well, is, you know, science says this and, but, and, and they're like, oh, well, it's a, it was a myth that was added in the Bible to try to reach out to these Gentiles and stuff. It's like, no. What happens is if we reject the virgin birth of Christ, we reject that Jesus is God. That's the, the summary of it. You can agree with me or not, but according to God's word, if we reject the virgin birth, we reject that Jesus is God. And if Jesus is not God, you and I have no hope. If Jesus is not God, there is no hope for any of us. And so having peace with God, the one who created us, is impossible unless God acts. And what we see and celebrate and what is so glorious about Christmas, when you see the manger, it should remind you that God acted. And we see that God acted in love. That's the second point. Look at verse 21 through 23. We see an act of love by the God who's created us. That not just He just intervened, but He did it because of His great love for you. God has acted by coming among us in person to rescue us, the Son of God. Jesus took on human nature to be like us, yet to be without sin, and therefore the reason for the virgin birth. Look at verse 21 of the text that we're in today in Matthew 1. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name what? What what shall you call his name? Jesus. We were just singing about that, right? The wonderful name of Jesus, the beautiful name of Jesus, and then that last verse, the powerful name of Jesus. 
when you look at this verse, we understand why we can sing that. It says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will do what? He will what? He will save his people from their sins. You know the name Jesus uh, in the Hebrew is Joshua. It means Yahweh is salvation, or it simply means Jesus means Savior. When we say the name of Jesus, it's not a swear word like to many people in this world. The name Jesus means so much to a believer because he's our Savior. And so it's with joy that we can say the name of Jesus, that we can sing praises to the name of Jesus. But when you look at verse 21, I've been praying this week that we would understand greater what the angel means when it says that his name is Jesus, that he will save his people from their sins. Two things about it. Number one, Jesus saves his people from the penalty of their sins by justifying them. You see... Because you and I have all sinned, um, even one time, even if you lie one time, you might say, well, lying's not too bad. But even if we sin one time, the Word of God says there's a penalty for that. What is the penalty of sin? What? Death. That sounds harsh, doesn't it? You're like, what if I've only... Sin one time. Well, the Word of God says we are born. We inherited sin through Adam. We are born as sinful people, separated from God. So the punishment for you and for me is eternal damnation in hell. I don't know how to make that any prettier. It's the truth. But Jesus gives us hope because He is the one who died on a cross in our place for our sins. You see, the Word of God, it says that Jesus became our sin, and there at the cross then, the wrath of God that was meant for you and meant for I was poured out on Jesus Christ. He took your place. That's why we call Him Savior. And therefore, when you and I place our faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ... His righteousness is imputed to you. It's given to you. We're justified by the work. Therefore, when God the Father sees you after you place your faith in Jesus Christ and His work, then God the Father sees you clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And He goes, my son, my daughter, my child. Have you thought about that? That not only you're forgiven of your sins by the work of Christ, but the Apostle Paul talks about being clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Almost like putting this jacket on that Christ's righteousness has been given to you and God the Father sees Christ's righteousness and not your sinfulness. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that something that we'd be like, praise God. When we look to the manger, we should see beyond the manger to the cross and see this wonderful truth that Jesus saves us from the penalty of our sins and justifies us. Turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 through 26. says in verse 23, For all, that word means all, Everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. The wonderful act of love of God to save us from our sins. But I also want to make sure that we understand not only the work that Christ done when we see Jesus in the manger and we hear the name Jesus and we think of salvation from our sins. I want us to also think about the fact that Jesus saves his people by from the power of sin through sanctification. You might go, I hear that word in the Bible. What's it mean? What's it mean to be sanctified or to, to be this process of sanctification? What it means is that God has given you a great gift Not only Jesus Christ's salvation through his work, but he's given the believer the Holy Spirit. And therefore, if you're a believer today, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. What a wonderful gift. And what God does in this salvation is he's sanctifying you that every day you would grow in how you're walking in holiness. And how many of you would say, hey, it's hard to be a Christian. Anyone out there agree? It's hard at times because the world comes against you. The enemy comes against you. Temptation abounds. When you become a believer and you're saved, it does not mean that you're, that, that you're don't no longer battle with sin. It's clear from God's word that you're no longer controlled by sin. You're no longer under the power of sin or under the power of Satan. You've been set free. The Holy Spirit, God Almighty, dwells and lives in you and therefore He empowers you and gives you the ability to stand. And I think what our greatest problem as Christians today when we struggle in our walk with the Lord every day is because we're not spending time with God in His Word asking the Holy Spirit to teach us and empower us. It's there. We have to ask. We need to grow in our prayer life and say, Lord, would you empower me to walk in your ways? Lord, I am so down today. I am so frustrated today. I am so hurt today. We have to turn to Jesus. Turn to his word. The power that raised Christ from death to life resides in you through the Holy Spirit. Amazing. And yet so many times we forget it. But Jesus saves us from the penalty of sins. He, he sets us free from the power of sin through sanctification. And this prophecy of salvation in Christ was prophesied to the nation of Israel to hope for the Messiah, hope for the Savior. They were to hope for the Lord for redemption from their sin. And I think they were, again, hoping for freedom from oppression, but what they missed is that God promised them to be set free and to have redemption from their sin. Psalm 130, verses 7 and 8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. You see, again, the nation of Israel was promised over and over that they, they, this is going, the Messiah is coming, redemption is coming, it's on its way. And if you look at, again, Isaiah to the time of Jesus, you've got like 700 years. That's a long time to wait. A lot of people died waiting for that hope. And here we are at that account and we see Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 
says what we see in our text today, Isaiah 7:14. It says, "Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. You know, in, in the book of Matthew, when Matthew writes, he's writing to the Jewish audience, and so he repeatedly quotes Old Testament prophecy and shows how Jesus fulfills that. And I can't tell you how many people I've run into in my life who are Christians today and said, because I read the Bible and saw the Old Testament prophecies and saw what Jesus and he fulfilled, filled that, that the Holy Spirit opened their eyes and they placed their faith in Christ Jesus as Lord and Savior. Look to our text today in Matthew chapter 1 here, verse 22. It's exactly what Isaiah said. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name what? Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. What a powerful passage, isn't that? To think God with us, who's been separated from us because of our our sinfulness, the fact that in the Old Testament, all these sacrifices and all the things that had to be made to cover over uh, our our sins, and yet there's this aspect, a, a brother in Christ, we were talking this week, and he was talking about at the point when Jesus Christ died on the cross, there was a big veil in this temple, and the, and the chief priest could only go in there once a year to sacrifice an offering on behalf of the nation of Israel. And when Jesus Christ died, that veil was torn from top to bottom. A wonderful symbol that God's people can enter in to a relationship with God. I mean, isn't this amazing? I mean, we may get so distracted at Christmas by there's the manger, there's the shepherds, oh, that cute Christmas pageant with the kids singing. But hey, who is the baby in the manger? What has he done? And how has it become to a point where we can have a relationship with us? His name is Emmanuel, God with us. Therefore, Jesus was crucified because he said, he, he told people he was not just man, but he was and is God. And therefore, we need, actually, if, if any man or woman was willing to die for us, for our sins, it would not appease the wrath of God. It would not cover our sins. No way, because that person's sinful. But there had to be a man, flesh and blood, someone who would come and die without sin. Only Jesus, because he was fully God and became fully man, could die on the cross in your place for your sins and therefore bear the wrath of God and make peace with God. Do you know that Jesus claimed repeatedly to be God? If you hear people in this world tell you, oh, Jesus never said he was God. He repeatedly said through the Gospels that he was God. You know why he was crucified? Why they got so upset they crucified him? Because he said he was God. They said, you you are blaspheming. In John chapter 8, verse 57 through 58, there's these religious leaders. And in John 8, is going back and forth in verse 57. They get upset because, you know, he's basically claiming God. They said, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones to try to kill him. The baby in the manger the great I am, Emmanuel, God with us. Such a powerful picture when we look 
to the manger at Christmas. And this is a question I get from time to time, especially at Christmas. I've had people ask me, can a person be a Christian and deny the virgin birth? It's a serious question. It causes people to get upset and angry. There's some people say, you can't deny God's word. And so I said, well, what about this? And I heard this. And, I read, and it's like, goes back and forth. But the question is, can a person be a Christian and deny the virgin birth? And you know what? Here's the thing. If you are a Christian, you're a Christian because you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Galatians, Paul writes, it says, the gospel never changes. Therefore, Jesus Christ died on a cross in your place for your sins. He was buried in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. Paul writes in Romans that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that, Je- that Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. If you're a Christian, you believe those things. And I would say if you have that much faith to believe that God raised Jesus from death to life, why is the virgin birth a problem? Why is the virgin birth a problem if you believe that God created this universe, if you believe that God is our sovereign commander of the universe? Um, I think what happens when you get those questions, it comes down to the person really asking, how big is God? Is God really in complete control? Is He sovereign? Is He ruler over my life? Or is He the God that I need only when I'm struggling? Is He the God I only need when I need salvation? You see, God is so mighty and awesome and glorious and wonderful, and we need to be reminded of that, especially at Christmas, when we can go through all the crazy busyness and so easily forget the baby in the manger is Emmanuel, God with us. And I just caution you with this if you're asking that question. Don't exalt yourself above the Word of God. What I mean by that is I believe in our world today there is a challenge, a temptation for us to pick and choose what we believe in God's Word. And everyone always wants to pick the salvation part because we, we don't want to go to hell. But this is questionable and science explains this and I don't know this. You know what? If God created the world, He could set aside the natural laws that He's created and He could, ha- he could ha- uh, have a virgin give birth to the Son of God because He's God. And if you struggle with that, my prayer for you would be that you spend time and read God's Word. Go read Isaiah chapter 40 about how mighty and powerful God is, how wonderful and how sovereign He is. Well, I want us to close looking at verse 24 and 25. If we are a Christian, if we believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, when we stand on the Word of God, I want us to look to the example that's given to us in these last couple of verses of what Joseph does. Verse 24 and 25, we see that there's an act of obedience an act of obedience. When Joseph woke from sleep, verse 24, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to his son, and he called his name Jesus. I mean, imagine Joseph waking up from sleep. He goes into that sleep as, I'm going to divorce my wife. Just do it quietly. He's still got feelings 
Again, I wonder what he was feeling. He goes to sleep. Maybe he was so struggling, and he wakes up after the angel of the Lord speaks to him. I mean, it's just like, all right, things are okay. And he is obedient to what God commands him to do. I was praying this week. How many times do we struggle with obedience? God has given us his word. God works through his Holy Spirit and lays upon our heart what we should do. And how many times do I, Paul, disobey God? How many times do I not follow through with what God has laid out for me and I know that he's going to bless me if I'm obedient to this because his word says so. And yet I disobey. Joseph is a great example when you look to the manger to not only see that Joseph was obedient to God, but I think it also helps me remember Jesus' obedience. That not only God acted on our behalf and it was an act of love, but you see an act of obedience by Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 5, verse 19, it says, For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, speaking of Adam, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. challenge on us to look to Jesus. I'm so thankful that in the night that Jesus was betrayed that he was in the garden and he was dropping the the sweat drops of blood and he's saying, Father, if there's any other way, would you take this away? Is there any way out of this? I don't want to do that because it's not necessarily the physical aspect he went through but the greater aspect of God's wrath upon the Son, the judgment for our sins. And you go, Lord, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours. I'm so thankful that when I say the name Jesus, when I see the baby in the manger, I'm like, thank you, Jesus, for being obedient to the Father's will. Because without that, I'm hopelessly lost. I was reading a a quote this week by a man named J.I. Packer, and he says this about Christmas. The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity. Hope of pardon. Hope of peace with God. Hope of glory because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. As the worship team comes forward and as we end our time singing praises to the Lord, think about the obedience of Jesus Christ that he took on and became full, fully human and didn't give up his divinity. And he was born in a stable. He was born into this world to go through the battle that we go through. And years later, went to the cross. I, I, I don't know how to explain it to people. Sometimes we're so amazed by it. But when you look at the manger, what do you see? Or better yet, the question is when you see those mangers, you got one over here to my right, you can see the cut out there. When you see the baby Jesus, who do you say that he is? Do you say, oh, that's baby Jesus? Or do you say, that's Emmanuel, God with us? You know, Jesus asked his disciples, He says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? They were gathered together, and in Matthew chapter 16, it's an account where it says, and and they answered and they said in verse 14, 
Some say, Jesus, you're John the Baptist, or others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then he stops using verse 15. It says, and he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter had the great answer. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Church, if you're able to say that today when you look to the manger, then you're in the right place. You're in the right standing with God. And if you come to this place, been invited by someone, or maybe it's your first, second, or maybe it's your hundredth time visiting here, and you've never come to the point saying, Jesus, the baby, that's God, my Savior, then call out today to Him and say, Lord, forgive me. I believe that you were born for me to save me from my sins. God will do the work in your life. Again, if Jesus is just another man who was born and died, if he's just a man, he can't save you and he can't save me. But he's Emmanuel, God with us. Father, I pray that for the believers in this room today, that they would be reminded of the wonderful gift of your son, that they would be reminded of the fact that today they have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them and that you are empowering them to walk in ways of holiness. Father, I pray that for any of the believers that are struggling in this room during Christmas, this is the toughest moment of their life. Maybe today is the hardest day. I pray that you, Holy Spirit, would give them the peace that surpasses all understanding. Give them the joy that they have in knowing Jesus as Lord. Remind them of the act that you've done, the loving act and the obedient act of Jesus. Father, I pray for any who are here and have been far from you, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. Father, may you receive all the glory and all the praise, especially during this time as we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. Amen. There's a bunch of people in this city and in this world that you know who need hope. And as God spoke to Israel and said to have hope, um, we're to go and be obedient like Joseph was obedient, like Jesus was obedient, to go and make disciples, to go tell them about Christ. It says in, again, Psalm 130, verse 7, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is a steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. People need to know that. Would you pray for me this week? As I talk to people and invite them to church, uh, that you, that God would give me some ability to tell people. And I'll pray for you that you do the same. Some of you, it's so easy. You grab one of these and you ask someone, hey, I just want to invite you. But know that if you do that, at some point, they may then say, well, what's this about? It's about Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. You didn't know, let me tell you. I mean, that's what I pray for for you. Not just that we're just evangelists and go out and tell people, but that as people come to Christ, they grow in Christ. That's what the church is about. So I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Maybe we'll see each other this week. If not, next week. Grab some of these because they may all be gone by the end of next week. May the Lord bless you as you go in His name, and may He empower you to walk in His ways this week. Amen.